0: Welcome to the Action Network Podcast, the number one show for the invested sports fan. All right, here we go. 10, 15, 20, 25, 30, 35, 40, 45, 50. And the kick is blocked! The college football world stunned! us! It's the size of the fight in the North. What's up, Degenerate Nation? Welcome to the Action Network Podcast Week 14, college football betting preview. I'm stuck in with me as always is Colin Wilson. You ready for some? We got some action tonight some Thursday night lights we'll get to later football all day Friday Saturday and we even have a kickoff for those in the east coast that starts on Sunday that 12 30 kick between army and Hawaii which we'll get to what's going on Colin? yeah I can't wait we've got uh just a huge number of days of football coming up
1: and we got some major things to decide before we get to conference championships and we don't know what kind of shakeup is going to be in the college football playoff there's uh no telling who's going to get upset this weekend
0: yep um well there's Two enormous games on Saturday. And in in order to ensure that we give both adequate amount of coverage, let's, we might as well just start there and then we'll go conference by conference. Uh, we'll update everyone on what's going on in each conference and hit on a couple games uh, that either we like or marquee games in each conference. But uh, from a timing perspective, uh, let's go chronologically on Saturday. And, look, we say it every week, I wish these games weren't at noon, but they are. And speaking of timing, there's only one game on Friday night, which is uh, UCF-USF, like after, I think, 7 o'clock, which is kind of weak. But we have plenty of football all weekend. But let's start with Ohio State-Michigan. Michigan is a 9.5-point underdog, over-under sitting at 51-ish, down from an open of 52 and look, this team is playing extremely good football. They still struggle to run the ball a little bit, but their passing offense, their pass protection with their you know, very experienced offensive line, playing very well. Their defense is playing really well. And look no further than what they've done against the market. You know, I mean, it really—it's it's happened since that first quarter of the Penn State game when they almost came back and were a drop away from winning, and they covered that game. I mean, they've really held everybody to 14 or fewer points now. This is obviously a big step up in competition, plus Ohio State has owned this series. I mean, Ohio State won 62-39 to 39 last year in a wild one, but they're 14-1 and one. the last 15 meetings. The only loss came with an interim coach. That includes 10-5 and five against the spread. The last time that Michigan beat Ohio State, by the way, back in 2003, and that was to end Ohio State's, almost 16 years ago to the day, to end Ohio State's chance at a repeat national title, it's been... A long time. It's been dominated by Ohio State. Does Michigan have a shot here? And is there any value in the number? What say you found? Don't
1: gamble. Don't associate with gamblers. Avoid it like the the plague. Let's check in with Bodog Jim. Well, Bodong Jim desperately needs this win, especially in this series. I mean, this is the rival game, and this is what he is judged upon. Uh, it'd be nice if he'd make the college football playoff. That would help out a little bit with his job position. But this game really is the, the measuring stick, the thermostat for everything uh, Wolverine football revolves around this game. For me, the number, you know, I said it at 10.5 when uh, we came out with the article in the Action Network on Sunday. Uh, Circa opened this up, I believe, at 9.5. And, and, you know, I think that really was, if they would open it at 10.5, they would have taken all Michigan money, which probably eventually would have got it to 9 and a half. So I think they were kind of getting ahead of the steam that was coming in. Right now you can get anywhere between eight and a half to nine and a half, but that's not really what catches my attention in this game. Penn State was able to expose that sack rate that you and I talked about a little bit. The one where Ohio State ranked 98th and on the offensive line in sack rate. And Penn State was able to get three sacks, plenty of hurries, 10 tackles for a loss. They were all in the Buckeyes backfield. The Buckeyes now have 25 sacks on the season. Uh, they average 2.27 per game and that's 84th in the country. Michigan can do the same thing. They're top 10 in sack rate. Michigan is now top 25 in rushing and passing success rate. That is a far contrast in where they started off with Middle Tennessee State, uh, where they started off with Army beginning of the season. It's just been nothing but spectacular since conference play started. J.K. Dobbins should have some success, at least, getting to the line of scrimmage because Michigan's only 78th in stuff rate. And both teams, like we said, the stats are just unbelievable on the defensive side. Michigan is 11th in opponent third down conversion. Ohio State is 18 and special teams sp plus uh and fourth and opponent red zone points per attempt they're not allowing any points when anybody gets down past the 40 or past down the 20 and then you throw in mother nature weather, 60 percent chance of rain maybe take away any of the aerial assaults justin fields will have or maybe shea patterson try to go to the air i'm i took the under at 52 and a half and that thing is steadily climbed down it is still moving down as you and i record this at 50 and so i I think I i think the under is the only way to play this
0: I tend to agree with the under as well. I mean, you know, we've talked about with Ohio State, once you start to play these elite teams, what their two biggest weaknesses are are they allow, you know, explosive runs. And it's a lot of that is how, how their scheme and how they play defense. Penn State's not really an explosive running team. Neither is Michigan. Mm-hmm. Um, that is not Michigan's game at all. So I don't think Michigan can expose that. But like you said, the sack rate they can, Fields tends to hold on to the ball a while. And I think I would have to look at Michigan because it seems like the market, myself, you, everyone, we can't catch up to how much better Michigan is playing over the last month or so because they're just obliterating the closing line. But like you said, with Dobbins, it's that defensive line for Michigan I still have questions about. So Ohio State, look, Penn State coming into into last week was the number one rushing defense in the country. And Ohio State in that game had a ton of success running the ball. Uh, so, you know, I mean, if you look back at some of the sets, Dobbins at 36 carries for 157 yards, that's not, you know, crazy, but enough success to sustain drives. And I value the Penn state front seven more than the Michigan front seven. So I do think they'll have, they'll have, they'll be able to have some success running the ball. Also, you saw fields last week, finally start to pull, you know, those read options, which he hasn't been doing all year. So, you know, his legs, uh, I think can be an X factor too, in keeping the chains moving, and then when Ohio State's on defense, look, we're, we don't talk enough about this Ohio State defense. I think their offense might be a tad overrated. But as a team, I don't think that they are. Their special teams are really good, and their defense is, I think, the best in the country. I mean, we always talk, everyone talks about Chase Young, and rightfully so. But without Chase Young, there are still pros all over this defense and at every single level. Now, they haven't had the hardest schedule, but they're allowing 217 yards per game. You know the last time that someone allowed less than 250 yards per game in a season? 2011, Alabama, one of the best defenses ever. They allowed 183. which is ridiculous. Ohio State's also allowing 3.5 yards per play. Since 2010, here's the list of teams that have allowed under 4 yards per play. 2011, Alabama, 3.3. 2019, Ohio State, 3.5. And 2012, Florida State, 3.9. So, I mean, this defense is really good, and I don't think the Michigan run game can give them problems. I agree. I agree with you. I think it's under or nothing. Um, And with the way Michigan's playing, as long as they don't get down early, they're going to have a shot in this game. If you're
1: in a pool and you have to have an absolute pick for this, because, I mean, I'm going to stick with the under here and, and ride this out, but if you had to have a pick, I guess you would take Michigan just because of the low possible low number of points that could be scored here, which would give value to the number. And, right, we haven't gauged it properly. We don't know how good this Michigan defense
0: is because we, our, our projection just can't catch up with them. And we'll have in-depth preview on this game and so many other games all week on the Action Network app and actionnetwork.com. All right, let's move on to the other big game. Uh, and that's at 3.30, the 3.30 CBS game. All eyes will be on Alabama, Auburn. And, you know, after last week, Alabama's playoff chances definitely got better with what happened to Oregon, who's now out of it. And then Oregon, because they're now out of it, will make a potential Utah win over them. It'll look a little, little worse than it would have had Oregon, you know, won out. So here's their chance, their playoff tryouts. They are three-and-a-half, four-point favorites. Uh, This over-under is sitting at 50. The last 15 years, Alabama's 7-8 and against the spread, so it's been fairly even against the spread. Alabama's won four of the last five, but Auburn's actually won two of the last three at home. Look, the way I look at this game, I told you last week, I make this game close to a pick. Now, I rate the difference between Tua and Mac Jones bigger than almost everyone that I've seen. Mac Jones, I'm tired of people talking about Mac Jones' numbers. And First of all, he has the best receiving core in the country, so that helps. And, you know, you or I could go out there and put up some numbers. But he played against Western Carolina, which is outside the top 100 in passing efficiency defense, in FCS. And then his other game was against Arkansas. This is a guy who's a redshirt sophomore. He's obviously talented. He was going to go to Kentucky. He changed and went to Alabama. But, I mean, he, what was he, the 17th, 18th rated pro-style quarterback in 2017. This isn't a generational quarterback like we have with Tua. But let's, let's cool our Jets on Mac Jones. What I'm not ready to cool my Jets on is the Auburn defense. I mean, this Auburn defense, and by the way, they've played top 50 offenses this year, and they've held them to 19 points per game on average played Georgia, held them to 21 points, 3.9 yards per play. LSU to 23 points, 5.8 yards per play. You know, Ole Miss, 14 points, 3.9 yards per play. Florida, 24 points. Oregon, 21 points. A&M, 20 points. Tulane, that, yeah, that's a top 40 offense, six points. And you look at the comparison with the Alabama defense has done, which is also really good, but it's not as dominant as it has been in years past. But look at what Alabama did against LSU. They got absolutely demolished against Ole Miss. Ole Miss put up 31 against them, and they've had a significantly easier schedule. We've talked about this all year. There are some soft spots in that front seven of Alabama. Look, this Auburn team, I think, just continues to be severely underrated because of their record, because of Bo Nix, although I think you're seeing some improvement every week, as you would expect to with a freshman. Uh, But because of their schedule, I mean, their schedule has been as hard as it gets in the country. I think they're being disrespected, here, catching four points. I think this is basically a coin flip. Give me the Tigers. What do you think here? Let me start off with saying that from everything I see from the statistics
1: and who's played who and resumes and everything else, absolutely I think Auburn should be favored. But let, let me start off by saying that Nick Saban came out and he said – this is the best team we've faced all season. And wow. the media the media just got in an uproar all about LSU. And I know LSU fans don't want to hear this. I know you guys have been waiting for me to turn on you, and I'm not turning on you LSU fans. I'm just saying Saban is right when you look at it from a defensive standpoint. Auburn's defense is 71st against pass explosiveness. That's not great, but LSU's 127th. Auburn's defense is 11th in finishing drives. LSU's 35th. So, Auburn's got him there. Auburn's top 10 in defensive rush and passing success rate. LSU is 34th in defensive passing success rate. This defense is far beyond better than LSU's defense. It's not even close. And the biggest difference in the stat sheet is that Auburn is 10th in stuff rate on offense and Bama's 111th on defense. That defensive front is soft. Alabama is going to be able to take it. They're going to get taken advantage of by Auburn. They're going to get all the short runs in this game, no problem. Now, Mac Jones. Quick outs to the flats to Devonta Smith. Quick outs to the flats to Waddle. Try to let them make something happen. But how often can you do that against this Auburn secondary that's going to be able to limit those plays, and they don't fear the deep ball at all? It's not like they're going to sit back uh, with two safeties back there waiting for something big to happen for Mac Jones' arm. It's not going to happen. Now, Henry Ruggs did practice today. He was listed as questionable. I'll just keep going on the Alabama train where I, I don't believe in them. Their strength is scheduled this year. is 84th. Auburn's is 13th. Auburn special teams is 30th in S&P Plus. Bam is a 74th. Everything tells me to take them with the points. Everything tells me to take them on the money line. Uh, I don't think we need to discuss anymore about Alabama hopping anybody into the college football playoff. Uh, and you know we'll get to Utah later. But I I hope this I hope this Iron Bowl puts it into this Crimson
0: Tide stuff. It certainly would do that. And look, the one thing you know, I have to mention this at least once per podcast. I'll mention it a few more times. But special teams advantage also for Auburn, mm-hmm. Alabama. Besides their, you know, their punt return game, their special teams are very shaky. And uh, Auburn has solid special teams across the board. See, so, yeah, I agree with you. Grab that four. I think it's extremely, extremely generous. And uh, yeah, I wouldn't shock me in the least if Auburn pulls off this upset at home here. Bo Nix now even more seasoned. It's I think Bama is ripe for the picking. Bo Nix season in full effect. Okay, let's just go through each conference alphabetically. Uh, we'll start with the AAC. We'll talk about the Egg Bowl Thursday night, the only game on Thursday. We'll talk about that later in the podcast when we go three and out. Uh, but let's start in the AAC. Uh, on Friday at 3.30, we have Cincinnati at Memphis. Memphis is an 11-point favorite over under 57. Now, this is a a fascinating game theory game because Cincinnati has already clinched. They're going to the AAC championship. So, you know, if they lose this game, they're going to play Memphis again and they'll play Memphis at Memphis in the same stadium next week. Now, if they win this game and the Navy beats Houston, which we'll touch on in a second, then Memphis does not, even though they went undefeated in their division, they do not go to the conference champions. It would be Navy versus Cincy, and that game, I believe, would be in Cincy. So it comes down to, to Cincy, how much does Cincy want to try? and throw, To throw another wrench in that, their quarterback, Desmond Ritter, is banged up. So he might not go, and you know, Fickle might just say, look, I'm going to rest more guys than usual, which makes this tougher to cap. Makes me want to potentially look at an under here. But what do you see here in Memphis since the top 20 matchup on Friday afternoon?
1: Yeah, that's actually the under is what I have played so far at uh, at the key number of uh, 57 there. So I, I think it may actually dip a little bit farther before as we get closer to kick. But no, you're right with, with Ritter possibly sitting out. Fickle may make the decision not to expose anything if this could be a rematch the following week. I mean, Cincinnati's path is safe. At least they're going to be in the AAC championship game. And, and you know, they there's clear advantages for the Memphis offense in this game, especially say in passing success rate. You know, they're 16th against Cincinnati. Uh, Cincinnati's rank of 48th. But you know, Cincinnati's been really good at limiting. A Explosiveness. Uh, they're 15th against pass explosiveness, and they're ninth in finishing drives, which is the measurement of how many points you get past the, your opponent's 40 yard line. And since his defense has been. Really good. They've tightened up once uh, opponents have gotten past the 40-yard line. So for purposes of Cincinnati's defense, in terms of finishing drives, in terms of havoc, in terms of limiting explosiveness, I like the under from that perspective. If Ritter doesn't play, I like the under from that perspective. Point spread, I think, is too close to call. But I, I think, you know, all those things that I
0: mentioned right there point to this game well going under 57. Yeah, and you also have the fact that Cincinnati's, they have a great punter, which always helps with an under as well. Uh, two solid special team units here Um, but yeah with Cincinnati it's there's so many different factors in here when I talk about this game from a game theory perspective because then you could also argue well maybe Cincinnati has a shot at a New Year's Six Bowl if they win out right so maybe they want to try from that perspective but yeah I mean chances are you know just going based on win probability and and this spread that we're going to see the same exact matchup next week Um, Cincinnati's defense at times on the road is scared me this is also the most penalized team in the nation i believe you know especially on offense with that offensive line it just puts them behind the sticks and it's not a great offense at all the memphis defense at times struggles to contain explosive plays that is not the cincinnati offense so i agree with you there that the look is certainly the under um all right elsewhere in the ac i mean there's going to be look there's going to be a lot of games this week that are really meaningful and there's going to be a lot that don't mean anything you know, you can look at Tulsa at ECU. I mean, oof, there's a three and eight team at a four and seven <laughs> team. But there are some decent games. I mean, Navy has to win and then they need to... The thing is with Navy, to keep in mind, I don't usually worry about motivation with the service academy teams, but they play at Saturday night. And since Memphis plays Friday, so Navy will know whether or not that game means something to them or not. Just throwing that out there. They're eight and a half point right. favorites at a four and seven Houston team. We also have SMU, which is three-and-a-half-point favorite at home against Tulane. I'll be looking at our, our Green Wave boys there. Uh, over under 71, the SMU overstreak stopped finally last week on a drive where they turned it over on downs against Navy in a second half where they only scored seven points. Uh, What do you see here in uh, Tulane SMU? Yeah, I mean, I I wanted to back
1: Tulane in this spot, but there's just a couple things in the stat sheet that just kind of took me by surprise. You know, the major advantage for SMU is that they're 21st in pass explosiveness, and Tulane's 124th in defending pass explosiveness. So that definitely gives me pause and back in the green wave. I mean, they're able to score points, but if SMU is going to be able to do it so easily, I can understand why this total is sitting around at 71st. Tulane's 109th defensively in finishing drives. Uh, They're allowing just about anybody to score that gets past the 40. If the number gets back down to three, maybe I'll consider an SMU. But it's just one of those things where a total is so high. Whenever there's a point spread that's around three, I'm just resigned to playing a game like that live because there's just going to be so many points. You're going to be able to get any number that you want.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's what I did last week with Tulane. I may do that again here. Um, All right, so let's move on to the Big 12. And with the Big 12, everything is set in stone because of Baylor's win over Texas last week. Baylor and Oklahoma each have a two-game lead over Oklahoma State and Iowa State. Uh, Texas is at 4-4, and which is pretty crazy, as well as Kansas State. But Oklahoma-Baylor will be your Big 12 championship, a rematch of that thrilling Oklahoma comeback uh, this week, first, Baylor is a 14-point favorite at Kansas. You know, this game, I guess you can say, and I, I think that it's reasonable, that Baylor isn't out of it yet. They'd have to have chaos happen. They'd obviously have to win out. Um, but I, So I wouldn't necessarily say this game is meaningless and because you could argue going to Lawrence, it might still be semi-trappish after that big win over Texas, you know, Big 12 Championship rematch against Oklahoma on deck. Kansas been an odd team to figure out, but their offense looked great again last weekend against Iowa State. Any value on less than the boys catching 14 at home, uh, 330 kick on Saturday over under 52?
1: Yeah, I think the number is completely discounted on the fact that Baylor, they've got Arlington locked up next week. Our projection over at Action Network actually makes this 19, so the number is too low for me to back a Kansas side. Uh, and then you look at Baylor, you know, Matt Rule says he doesn't have a feel on when Brewer is going to return, and then Brewer comes out, I think, either – either earlier today or yesterday and said that he's ready to roll and he got upgraded to probable. So I think whether he's going to play or not and how mobile he's going to be is up for question and how long he plays in this game is also a variable that uh, you have to contend with if you're going to lay some money in here. There are winds of 17 miles an hour uh, at this game going to get up to 20 miles an hour wind gusts even higher than that at David Booth Kansas Memorial Stadium. But the problem is is the landscape, the orientation of the stadium is that it's all going to blow through one end zone. So you know, for a half of a game for each team, they're going to have a problem kicking field goals which may be the reason why this number keeps on ticking down from a total perspective. Uh, but you know, Brewer's status obviously affects the total perspective, too. Uh, so for me, it's just no play. There's just too many variables here. Uh, I did like an over if everybody's healthy and if the wind wasn't affecting kicking. Uh, but I can't go in and play it when you know we may have a limited amount of time in which Baylor starters are playing.
0: Yeah, and Baylor, I mean, Matt Rule's the type of coach that once he gets a lead, he's not going to run it up. You know, he's going to – he'll go super conservative and just try to get out of dodge with a win. Uh, elsewhere in the Big 12, we have two games on Friday. West Virginia at TCU. TCU's laying 13-and-a-half here. And then that's at four fifteen Eastern. But the noon kick is Texas Tech at Texas. Texas Tech not bowl eligible. They're 4-and-7. Some teams can get – you know, win five games we've seen in the past and get to a bowl. You know, if you – played some FCS games when they don't normally count uh, yeah, and, th- and they need some spots, they might look at you. And also based on um, your academic standing and that, so wh- how, who that applies to is like a Duke and a Stanford. They get the five wins and there's still spots available for a bowl. You know, those are the teams that are at the top of the academic standing rankings, as you would expect. But Texas uh-huh. is here laying 10 points at home over under 63. Texas Tech, I you know, look, I have to give a lot of credit to Texas Tech for the way that they fight. Now, they can't really close out games. But if you look at, you know, a, a lot of their losses this year, let's see, they lost by three to Baylor overtime during a double overtime in a controversial call. And, and they lost to Kansas on a, you know, a, a field goal block that they then fumbled. Lost to TCU by two. They lost to Kansas State by three last week. So they've lost four games by three points or fewer. I, I'm not sure where Texas's head is at. After last week, they're playing to get to what seven wins, to so seven and five on the year. I did see you put a play through on Texas. You're buying Herman here? Well, no, I put him on a on a money line parlay uh, with with another okay.
1: team this week. Uh, so you know, I needed somebody else to attach it to, and I like Texas at home here. And really, when it comes down to it, when I look at the the stat sheet on these two teams going up against each other, Texas Tech doesn't have the ability to expose Texas's biggest weakness, which is through the air. Uh, tell, you know, Texas Tech just has no explosiveness and no success rate whatsoever. Uh, offensively, they're 108th in passing and pass explosiveness. Uh, and that is something that we all know that Texas has struggled with all season, especially with injuries. And since Texas Tech can't expose Texas in their in their weakest aspect, then I expect Sam Ellinger should be able to run and throw on this Texas Tech defense. that 96th expo- against explosive rushing and they're 113th against explosive passing. So at the end of the day, this is more about how Ellinger can expose what the Texas Tech defense can do and that the Texas Tech offense can't expose what Texas uh, all their deficiencies that they have on defense. I'm happy with a money line play for the Longhorns in, in Austin, but the side uh, I, you know I've got it marked it uh, projected at 10.5. So I, I think the number is pretty static. It looks like it's coming down. It's taking plenty of Texas Tech money, but like you said, they can't close that game. So I wouldn't be too comfortable backing Texas Tech. We
0: obviously have to talk about Bedlam, uh, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State. Oklahoma still an outside shot at the college football playoff. They're going to need help, and they're going to need. The good thing is they play. You know, Oklahoma State right? they I believe the, the Pokes are still ranked. Then they'll play Baylor. They need style points though, and then they obviously need help elsewhere. Oklahoma, by the way, is just and and I like them here. Um, they've been so unlucky, and you could say that like hurts. It's it's it, it's mind blowing to me that Jalen Hurts wants to get another yard. I mean, I, I respect it, right? <laughs> when he gets down into the red zone and he will fight for, like, another yard or two. But, you know, it's causing them so many turnovers. It's, it's causing them covers. Last week, they've just been really unlucky in the red zone. Part of that is because of Hurts fighting. But what makes that so mind-boggling to me, they're averaging 8.4 yards per play. Like, all right, if you're down at the 9 instead of the 8, it's fine. You're going to score in the next play then last week against so but these scores some of these scores recently have been misleading because of some of those turns they led and they led by 21 a number of times against Iowa State who made a furious comeback they should have rolled TCU i mean TCU couldn't even get a yard they're up 11 and you know the receiver falls down and there's a 100 yard pick six by the way i can't wait to see what 100 yard pick six fucks me this week but they're averaging 8.4 yards per play it's like the third most of all time if the season ended today last year with Kyle Murray it was 8.6 which was a record but look the Oklahoma state offense we saw last week you know it's not as explosive with obviously they don't have Wallace now um you know now it's Drew Brown instead of Spencer Sanders at quarterback you know they still have Hubbard who should have some success against Oklahoma but this is a much easier offense to game plan against it was very conservative dink and dunk not really an explosive factor here um to take advantage of some of Oklahoma's deficiencies um you know and the, you don't, you also don't have Drew Brown he's not as mobile Uh, of a quarterback so I think Oklahoma needing style points here they're just a much better team this red zone turnover variance has to break their way eventually I think the Sooners blow this open you could argue that Hubbard could be the difference in a cover and maybe giving the pokes a shot and historically it's been a crazy game what do you see here yeah, I got it projected at 11 and a half. Uh, I took Oklahoma minus 12. Uh, their number is up
1: to 13 and a half in some places, but I would still suggest taking a 13 or a 12 and a half. And, you know, Oklahoma is now minus seven in net turnovers. They're 115th in the nation in turnover margin. It's just terrible. I think the thing that really stood out for me from the stat sheet was that they're they only have three fumbles gained on the season. That's it. Out of all the loose balls, they have three fumbles gained. One of the most amazing things I've ever seen, especially from you know a defense that was at a, just a whole new culture with Alex Grinch and the Speed D and uh, you know creating havoc. And they've only gained three fumbles on the season. Oklahoma State still covered the closing number against West Virginia. Drew Brown had just one explosive play the entire time. Most of them were under ten yards, so there's nothing explosive going on with the Oklahoma State offense unless Hubbard makes
0: something of a of a short pass. I got a push in that game, but it, I mean West Virginia probably should have won that game outright.
1: Yeah, yeah. And you know, the thing is, is Hubbard was the leading targets too. So yeah, I think he had six receptions on the day and, and you're just not going to be able to do that over and over and over against Oklahoma. They're going to, they're going to be ready for that and ready to blow it up. And so the, the Sooners lead this series 88 to 18 with seven ties. It's one of the more amazing rivalry uh, statistics records I've ever seen, but the Cowboys have four victories uh, so far this century. They've upset some really good Oklahoma teams in the past, but um, I think it's going to be a little bit tougher to do it here, especially with a backup quarterback. Oklahoma's 74th against the explosive passing, uh, but hitting Hubbard out of the backfield—that's not the formula to expose OU's defense and explosive passing. There's a very large discrepancy in finishing drives here. Oklahoma's 15th in finishing drives. Oklahoma State is 96th in opponent red zone scoring percentage. So if anybody gets within the 40, hey, it's it's the Cowboys are going to let you score. Uh, Oklahoma, you know, I think that they're feeling the gap between their current rank and and, and the College Football Playoff uh, getting to the fourth spot. Uh, so not only do I think there's plenty of statistical advantages and. Oklahoma State offensively is going to be limited that OU is going to be able to sniff out, but I think overall the Sooners here just know where their place is in the rankings and they're going to try to improve it. Yeah,
0: and this Oklahoma State team, by the way, just they're not very good. I mean, if you look at their offensive line, now,
1: they're nine and two against the spread. Now hold on, they've they've done done some work this year.
0: They are also when they get into passing situations they don't have a great pass blocking offensive line and this is a very aggressive blitzing oklahoma defense it's top 20 in sack rate so i think that they're going to be able to get the brown and look all oklahoma needs and it's amazing that oklahoma's 15th in finishing drives with all these random turnovers in the red zone so and oklahoma state has all kinds of problems in the red zone with their offense so yeah i think finishing drives a couple forced punts on sacks will be the difference for oklahoma i like the sooners i'm gonna split them between first half and game Um, All right, so let's move on here to the Big Ten. We have another one, which will decide the division and who gets to go on to play Ohio State. Wisconsin's two-point favorite here over under 47-and-a-half. You know, this Minnesota defense, it's still vulnerable up the middle, and you can run on them. And, you know, who better to do that than Jonathan Taylor? There's going to be some rain and wind here, which you would think would favor Wisconsin. Um, You know, Wisconsin's past defense numbers – are really good but a lot of that is inflated from horrible offenses that they played early in the year minnesota is two of the best receivers in college football in johnson and bateman so you know morgan's obviously playing so well at quarterback minnesota short home dog here any value there uh, the number is right, but I'm
1: not hedging any of my Wisconsin futures whatsoever. I'll save that for the big 10 championship game. So I do make this game three, uh, but it's just things with Minnesota. I just, I don't, I still don't believe in you. I don't care that you beat Penn state. It was at home. Uh, you know, they have a, a big gap in their secondary and, and, and Tanner Morgan was able to expose that Wisconsin strike The schedule is 12th. Minnesota is a 77. So there's just a huge discrepancy here. in the quality of teams that both of these, uh, two have faced, uh, Jonathan Taylor should have a huge day. They have a rushing success rank of ninth, uh, Uh, That's going to take advantage of Minnesota right there. Uh, They have a power success and stuff rate that's in the top 11 against a Minnesota defense that is 123rd and 103rd, respectively, in those categories. What does that mean? Wisconsin is going to tear Minnesota apart on the short yardage runs. Uh, Anything at the line of scrimmage, Minnesota's never going to get into the backfield. It should be a really good day for Jonathan Taylor. Minnesota exposed Penn State on the deep ball, like I said. The Badgers have a way better secondary. Wisconsin's ranked 15th in defensive pass passing success rate they're second in sack rate they're second in defensive havoc i know that penn state's defense is considered one of the best in the nation and they are especially on the front seven but when you throw in their secondary wisconsin kind of has a claim that maybe they're overall one of the best defenses in the nation especially from a havoc and a sack rate and a passing success rate perspective you mentioned weather that's actually something people should pay a lot of attention to minneapolis right now uh is currently in a winter storm warning so safe travels for everybody on thanksgiving uh there's some pretty bad weather up there uh uh, so there is a snow and a rain chance, and there's 15-mile-hour wind gusts uh, projected. So it just screams ground game to me. So if Minnesota's bread and butter and putting points up on the board is Tanner Morgan going deep, and they can't do that against the Wisconsin secondary, and Wisconsin's bread and butter is running it with
0: Jonathan Taylor in the trenches, then I'm taking Wisconsin all day in this game. All right, and then let's just go rapid fire to close out the Big Ten. Iowa this is a Friday <laughs> afternoon game at 2.30. Five-and-a-half-point favorites at Nebraska. Any love for the corn playing to get the six wins symbol eligibility? I'm on Nebraska plus six. Defense is healthy, and uh, they're finally having
1: clean box scores as far as turnovers go. Oh, and they're place kicking. They're actually making field goals.
0: Indiana under a touchdown now against Purdue. Any interest there? Nothing there for me. From a numbers perspective, people are going to hate it, and I hate it. Northwestern's probably one of the best bets on the board. I mean, Illinois, my nine-point favorite here. Uh, I know Northwestern's on their 19th quarterback and 15th running back and 17th wide receiver. Not like it matters with that offense. But this Illinois team, which has been the luckiest team in the country by far Uh when it comes to turnovers. Teams just miss field goals against them. They just throw them the ball. I mean, they caught a a sleepy Wisconsin team, and they won that game. And I think they're just overvalued because uh, they beat Connecticut by eight. Great. They beat Akron to start the year. Great. They lost at home to Eastern Michigan. They lost at home to Nebraska. They got trucked by Minnesota, trucked by Michigan. They blew out Purdue. Congrats. Uh, and then they blew out Rutgers. And then Michigan State was up by 50 and, and somehow blew that lead. And then they were severely outplayed against Iowa last week. So, I mean, this Illinois team stinks. Nine is pray Anything over a touchdown is crazy in this game. No, am I wrong? No, no, you're right. I, I've got this projected at.
1: If I'm reading this right, I've got this projected at four. Oh, how is this number so high? Now I've got to. I've got to end up playing Northwestern. I don't know how Northwestern scores. Uh, their offensive splits are really—I you know, can't even find an adjective for how bad, how, how red everything is on my screen. But, I mean, Northwestern's outside not just the top 100, but, like, the top 110 uh, in almost every offensive statistical category. Illinois has a really superb uh, special teams ranking over Northwestern. They're ninth in special teams SP+, and Northwestern is 112th. Now, after that, Northwestern's going to be able to play some defense against Illinois. So I'm not sure if under is the look, but this point spread is inflated way too high. Yeah, there's just some perception that Illinois is good, but they're just lucky. I think they were like a 1% uh, post-win expectancy against Michigan State. I mean, they had no no business winning that
0: game whatsoever. All right, let's move on to Conference USA, which is the craziest uh, as far as to who's going to win each division. In the East, Florida Atlantic, this is pretty simple. Florida Atlantic, Lane Kiffin and his boys, they're nine-point favorites at home against Southern Miss. Southern Miss can actually still win the West— Uh, They're in a three-way tie with La Tech and UAB. And as of right now, they're all one and one against each other. Would come down to division tiebreakers if they all win or they all lose. We're getting crazy. But let's just focus on Conference USA East. And also Southern Miss, their quarterback, Abraham, is questionable. They don't know if he's going to play yet. But FAU is a nine-point favorite here. And then in regards to the West, I mean, Marshall uh, could win it too. If Marshall wins and Florida Atlantic loses, they could win the East. But in the West, you have UAB, La Tech, and Southern Miss are all tied at five and two. If we assume Southern Miss loses at FAU, you know, UAB is a three-point favorite at North Texas. It's pretty funny to see that line open at one. You have an eight-and-three team that needs to win Uh at a four-and-seven North Texas. And I'll let you get to your UAB boys in a second. And then you also have La Tech, who's a 20-point favorite at home against UTSA. They will get their star quarterback, Jamar Smith, back. They'll get Adrian Hardy back at receiver as well. So really, what most of this division will come down to is whether or not UAB can beat North Texas. If UAB does indeed beat North Texas, then UAB, and we assume Southern Miss loses to Florida Atlantic, UAB already beat La Tech. So UAB would then win the division, and it would be UAB versus FAU in the Conference USA Championship. Got all that? Probably not, but thought I'd throw it out there for any Conference (laughs) USA diehards. Any games that you want to touch on specifically in Conference USA?
1: Let me talk to the Conference USA diehards here real quick. So Marshall-FIU is the first game of the day that game directly impacts Florida Atlantic and Southern Miss. Why? Because if Florida Atlantic loses their game, Marshall has the tiebreaker. So Florida Atlantic really needs Marshall to lose, and then Florida Atlantic can – not necessarily have to beat Southern Miss to be in the championship game. Now, so Marshall FIU affects FAU Southern Miss that way. Jack Abraham, questionable like you said. Uh, there's one report out there that says he's completely fine. There's another report out there that said, well, he had an ice pack on his knee during the middle of the game. He's, he's at least questionable, probably doubtful. So I'm getting two different beat reporters with two different stories on the quarterback. So it's really a no play in the Southern Miss game for me and FAU, plus they're going to be scoreboard watching with Marshall. And if that wasn't enough, UAB is going to be kicking off 30 minutes after the Southern Miss FAU game, scoreboard watching that game because UAB has to have Southern Miss lose this game for UAB to have a shot. So UAB, 30 minutes kickoff later against North Texas, will be scoreboard watching a game that's already in progress. And if Florida Atlantic has like a 30 point lead on Southern Miss, UAB has a real shot to go to the Conference USA Championship. And so that's why this number is like, it's really hard to balance all these variables. As far as UAB goes, the number is steaming too high. I've got it listed as one. UAB minus three is too much. Look at what happened last week. I mean, UAB opened at minus one. They steamed all the way out to six and a half. They only beat LaTeX by six, even though LaTeX was missing all their players, which by the way, LaTeX gets Jamar Smith and Adrian Hardy back for senior day uh, against UTSA. But as far as UAB goes, I mean, North Texas can take advantage of a UAB d- uh, defense. It is, uh, you know, pretty low low rankings against Explosive Rush, against Explosive Pass, Uh, you know Southern Miss, FAU game, just having a whole ton of influence on how the Blazers play this game. Uh, I think it's a second-half play. If FAU is up big, it's a second-half play for me to come in and play UAB because of the motivation to win their division. And so that's how I'm playing it this weekend. It's crazy. All these games intersect with each other, and the only thing that matters is is if FAU is winning big over Southern Miss, UAB is going to have a very fired-up second half.
0: Yeah, UTSA also, they might play their backup quarterback. Some of these teams that are way out of it might do that, so that's something to keep an eye on. All right, let's move on to – I guess we – let's let's cover the independents off quickly. Well, I'm going to cover Army Hawaii later, and I'll let you jump in there as well. BYU with three-and-a-half point favorite at San Diego State who's dead now. Anything there? You know, San Diego State's got this new look offense, but it didn't do too
1: well against Hawaii. Uh, they've gone over the total just once this season, and BYU's off of a billion point performance against UMass. So, And, you know, BYU, by the way, is locked into the Hawaii Bowl. So nothing that happens in this game can affect where they're going to and the Cougars are top 15 overall opponent explosiveness. And you know San Diego State has a better statistical rank defensively than BYU's any BYU offensive category. So I know the number's at 40, but with San Diego State being 125th in finishing drives and BYU being 87th in finishing drives, the only way to look is to go under that total.
0: Yeah, and the good news is, is that UMass is done, uh, so we don't have to watch that dumpster fire (laughs) any longer. Anything Notre Dame, Stanford? Notre Dame's up to a 16-point favorite.
1: Yeah, I want to back Notre Dame, but the number just got a little bit too high for me. Uh, You know, I think I had this power rate at around 13.5, 14. It opened up 14.5, and and I wanted to just kind of roll the dice and see if it'd get down to 14. It briefly got to 14, and then before it took off and got up to 16. So I would really like to have this game at 14, but I think I'm in the same boat I am last week with Boston College. There is a way for Notre Dame to get some points up on the board here, especially against the, the secondary of Stanford, so I think the better plays to take Notre Dame on a team total over than it is to actually take them against the spread. And then you know we have to talk about Liberty.
0: Liberty, Liberty, Liberty. They're playing New Mexico State again for the second time this year. The 14 point favorites. Seems a tad high, but not sure I can stomach uh, New Mexico State here. Anything there?
1: Well, this is probably Hugh Freeze's last attempt to give a resume kind of building bullet point experience for anybody that might want to scoop him up and make them their head coach. So for me, it's liberty or nothing here in the fourth time they played New Mexico State in the last 14
0: months. Unbelievable. Um, All right, let's move on to some action. Miami of Ohio has already clinched the division. They play Ball State. Ball State's three and a half point favorite. They're at four wins, not bowl eligible. But I threw Ball State in a money line parlay. I'm glad to fade Miami of Ohio here. But Central Michigan can win the division with a win at home over toledo on friday you also have Uh kent state who's just seems like they're made of magic uh with their last two wins a miracle win and then a you know a crazy win last week they're five and six one win away from six wins in bowl eligibility catching five at eastern michigan i'm so close to pulling that trigger there tell me convince me not to and uh, do you see anything else in the mac Toledo has
1: yet to cover a game on the road this season, so Central Michigan's top 30 in passing success rate, and there's plenty of holes in the Toledo pass defense. Uh, so, I mean, that one should be a pretty easy one that I'll, I'll probably have to get involved in, at least with a money line. It is a lot of points, but at the same time, I'm not sure what – I mean, Toledo's head is just spinning right now for uh, what they've gone through and the, the losses that they have on the team. Toledo
0: is – let's see, they got blown out by Buffalo, but before then they lost by three to NIU – they, you know, they beat Kent State by two. They they beat Eastern Michigan by three. So they had some. Easy wins, but yeah, I mean they've had a lot go down here.
1: I took Kent on opener. I forgot to tell you, yeah, I took Kent on opener. Really, there was a lot of offensive advantages that they have against the Eastern Michigan defense. Uh, Kent, if you don't know, is like on a crazy hot streak at the at the roulette table these days. They, they came within two, two points of going to uh, overtime a couple weeks ago. Uh, they were able to pull off this 24 point comeback in the fourth quarter against Buffalo. They got ahead last week against Ball State and never let the ball, you know, never let Ball State come back and take the lead. They're just hot right now, and they have to have this game to to qualify for six qualify for bowl season so yeah i'm all over kent state i was able to get it open i think five and a half and it looks like the market's dropping
0: yeah and look ball state the last three games they've lost by a total of eight points so they've been right Mm -hmm. there they're still fighting miami ohio is one of the worst division champs you'll ever see all right let's move on to the mountain west where you know we have boise state You, you know you want to talk about we talk about teams we don't know where their heads are at colorado state I mean, some of their losses lately, they still can't beat any of their rivals, which I think they lost 12 times in a row to um, when we're talking about, you know, Wyoming and Colorado and Air Force. Uh, but Boise State has already won the Mountain Division. They are 7-0, one game ahead of Air Force, but they beat Air Force. Boise State's 13 half point favorites at Colorado State. And then in the West Division, you have Hawaii, who beat San Diego State to clinch that division at 5-3. and three. So Hawaii will be in the Mountain West Championship against Boise State. So interesting spots for both of them, knowing where they're going to be. Boise State, I guess you could argue, still has, you know, bowl aspirations and maybe New Year's Six. So they might be a little more inspired than Hawaii, which, look, Hawaii has come out and said, and it's senior night there, which is important, always important in Hawaii. They said that they're going to play everybody, but they didn't do that early in the year against Central Arkansas. You have to think that there's... This is a, one of the biggest sandwiches you'll ever see. Beating San Diego State to clinch the division, which is so big for a Hawaii program, with Boise State in the Mountain West Championship on deck against an Army team that has off of a bye playing for bowl eligibility. Because guess what? Army does have one more game left against Navy, but they hand out the bowl bids before that game. You want to talk about a motivational mismatch? It's Army at Hawaii here. Army should be able to move the ball at will on the ground, just like Air Force did with their triple option offense earlier in the year. Although I will say, you know, teams are about 56, 57 percent against the spread historically when you're seeing a triple option offense for the second time in a year. I'm not sure how much that's going to help a really bad Hawaii run D. But Hawaii, you know, if, if they're starting everyone and and motivated, they should be able to move the ball. Through the air as well, through Army. Do you see anything there or, or elsewhere in Conference USA? <sighs> Yeah, it should be interesting. Yeah, the whole, the Army
1: Hawaii game is the biggest game of the weekend, in my opinion, because you know Army has all the motivation in the world to get their sixth win. Hawaii, on the other on the other hand, program defining division championship. This is uh, a goal of theirs that they had all season long. Just a tremendous victory over San Diego State, and that stadium was actually full. I watched that entire game on Facebook with seventeen other people. Huge victory for for the Rainbow Warriors, and now they get to look ahead to possibly capturing a conference crown. So I can't really say that they have a whole bunch of you know, revenge angle or anything in them after what happened at Mitchie Stadium last year when they lost to Army. Uh, you know, I think they got their minds completely on Boise State, and then also there's another thing going on. And at least from a newspaper standpoint, at least from a couple of player Twitter accounts mentioning that BYU has accepted a Hawaii Bowl. Now you say, why is that so big? If you go look at BYU's recruiting, they recruit the state of Hawaii very well. They go and pull recruits out of there a lot. So BYU making the Hawaii Bowl, although it has no effect on this Hawaii Army game and has no effect on the Hawaii Boise game next week, it's in the players' heads. It's in the program's heads that if they lose that Boise game for the Mountain West Conference Championship, they're going to get a date with BYU. So for some reason, that's seems to be coming out into the media and affecting the Hawaii team this week when it has absolutely no, you know, reason to deal with Army or Boise. So besides that, Hawaii struggles in the trench defensively. They're outside the top 100 in defensive rushing success rate, stuff rate, power success rate, and five and six Army team is going to have plenty of success running. They're fourth in success rate. They're first in stuff rate on offense. They're fifth in power success rate on offense. They're going to be able to move the ball and do what Army does, efficiently run it. Trim clock, grind clock, and limit possessions by the Hawaii offense. Army will trim all those possessions, and they'll expect Cordero or Cole McDonald. Cole McDonald's not going to be able to get out there. Sometimes he's hot in some drives, and then he gets cold, and they got to pull him, and Cordero will come out there. Uh, You know, Hawaii just doesn't have any time, with the limited number of possessions, to have any kind of sloppy play, and Hawaii's 104th in penalty yards. So they're not going to get a whole bunch of offensive drives in this game. So I do like Army here a lot. I think they're going to beat Hawaii again. I think they're going to get their sixth win, and I think Rolovich cares about that conference championship
0: way more than he cares about playing this Army game. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we always say that the triple option, triple option service academy teams are model breakers. And when they play a team that's more talented, which Hawaii is on paper, it's the great equalizer. Uh, Army has a dog here. It's not a big dog, but I like them as well. All right. Let's move on to the Pac-12. The Pac-12 is pretty much settled. Oregon, pretty much out of the college football playoff race after that loss last week to Arizona State. They've won the Pac-12 North, the Pac-12 South. And for all of our Pac-12 futures, Still has not been decided. All we need, USC is done. All we need is Utah to win at home against Colorado. They're 28-point favorites. So it's pretty much done. You also have, you know, Arizona State is a 13-and-a-half-point favorite against a, a fading Arizona team that's lost, I think, four or five in a row by 14-plus. Uh, they just getting blown out. Now, they played U- they're coming off of games against Utah, Oregon. They played some of the best teams in the Pac-12. Um, but they've looked messy. But this is a huge letdown spot for a Herm team that usually is in the game against everyone, regardless of they're a favorite or an underdog. You know, you have two of the rivalry games. Uh, we have the Apple Cup with Washington, Washington State, Washington's seven-point favorite. Washington is own Washington State. Their defense is built to shut down that air raid. And then Oregon trying to bounce back uh, after that loss. Uh, they will take on Oregon State in the Civil War. They're 19-point favorites over under sixty-five and a half. Oregon State's an odd team in that they score 50 points against bad defenses and then don't score any against good defenses. What do you see on uh, anywhere in the Pac-12? I'll let you go where you want here. Yeah, I'll start with the Civil War because you kind of nailed it right there.
1: Uh, I'm taking the under in that game, uh, and I project it to be about 10 points less than what the current market is, and I expect that number to keep dropping. Oregon State has just wilted against stronger trenches. You look at Washington, Utah, Cal, Oregon State has scored a grand total of 31 points against those three defenses when they average around 35 points against every other defense that they play. Oregon State's made just 37 trips to the red zone. This is one of the more amazing things about Oregon State this year, in my opinion. Oregon State has made the red zone 37 times this year. 32 times has resulted in a touchdown. They have the highest percentage of touchdown rate per red zone trip. Problem is, is 37 red zone trips at this point in the season isn't a lot. But 32 have turned into a touchdown. Only two have turned into a field goal. I just don't know if they can get to the red zone. Oregon is seventh in finishing drives and second in opponent red zone scoring per attempt. Oregon's defense is stellar. That's been the heartbeat of the team all season, but they're even better once an opponent gets to the 40-yard line. So, you know, if Oregon State's going to score, they've at least got to get down uh, to the 20, which may be a tough thing to do. I think Oregon is going to bounce back here, especially from a defensive perspective, from a Havoc perspective. I think this is an under all the way. Uh, The point spread I actually have listed at 21, projected at 21, so I think there is a little bit of value on the 19, which is probably going to get some steam up here. But no, it's all Oregon and all under in that game for me. As far as Utah goes, I mean, I'm not We're not backing off this overdog thing with these guys. Uh, for, you know, until it loses. Because I think Utah absolutely knows where they are, and they're just like OU. They're going to try to throw up as many points as possible. Unlike unlike OU, they've actually been very successful in doing it and blowing out all their conference opponents. Colorado's 83rd in offensive rush explosiveness. They're 96 in offensive pass explosiveness. Utah is first and second defensively in those categories. Nobody is exploding for plays against the Utah defense. Colorado's defense is in deep trouble in this game. Their bottom 10 in success rate for both passing and and rushing. Utah is top thirty is top thirteen in, in rushing and passing success rate. It's going to be really ugly for Colorado in this game, especially with a motivated Utah team that is
0: not getting mentioned enough on Tuesday nights when those rankings come out. Yep, completely agree. And then how about in the uh, Apple Cup with Washington? Well, I mean, Washington is coming. They're sitting at six and five. Both of these teams are six and five on the year. I mean, Washington State. Yeah, I got they had they had a miracle win. Uh, Over Oregon State. And by the way, you know, Oregon State is five and six and they could still get the six wins. But you also have to think that they're going to be potentially a little flat, even though this is a rivalry game after that stunning loss. Uh, But anything in Washington, Washington State, does Washington just shut down this uh, Mike Leach offense once again? Yeah, and that's the whole – I think Washington
1: Washington money line was what I paired with Texas uh, uh, to get a good money line card going uh, between two favorites at home. And it really goes back to defensive coordinator Jimmy Lake last year uh, when they asked him after the game. Because, you know, Washington State was on just a huge run with Gardner Minshew last year. Uh, Max Borgie, who's still there now. uh, They just had a – you know, they've been tearing people apart last season We're even getting missions for the college football playoff. They faced Washington and got shut down completely. And defensive coordinator for Washington came out and said right after the game, he said, hey – it's Washington State. It's the air raid. We know exactly what to do against this defense. We don't even have to coach that much. It's just culture around here. We know what to do against these guys. I was—I mean, it was just a stunning statement from uh, an upset game, shutting down one of the teams that's in the top ten in the college football playoff, but it, it was just a thing where they systematically and schematically know how to shut down what Mike Leach is trying to do. If you look at what Washington did, who, another air raid team that they shut down earlier this season was USC. USC came up to play Washington earlier this year lost 28 to 14 is one of kadon slovis's worst days of the year. So, I have no problem throwing Washington money line in any any, you know, tickets that I have right now. The 7 is about where I project it. So, I mean, you're kind of rolling the dice taking the spread there, but it's just not a game where I expect Washington to lose whatsoever.
0: All right, let's move on to the SEC and this should be interesting. There's, you know, we already talked about Alabama Auburn. El- elsewhere there are a number of just ridiculous spreads. First, we'll start with your boys Woo pig suey. Absolute dumpster fire, dumpster fire. I don't know how we win a game the rest of the
1: year. Just blow the program up. Give us a death sentence.
0: Collins talking Razorback football. Arkansas is catching 12 at home against a corpse Missouri team who just came out that the NCAA denied their appeal and upheld their postseason ban. So they're at five wins, and they just lost to Tennessee at home. Before then, they lost to Florida at home. They lost 27 nothing to Georgia at home before then. They got blown out by Kentucky the week before that. The week before that, they lost at Vandy. I mean, it's bad right now with Missouri. So if there's ever a time to back the Hogs, it would be here. Can we do it or no?
1: Let me give everybody a geography lesson real quick. They've decided that this game needs to be in Little Rock. I find that ridiculous, considering it's the day after Thanksgiving, and that means that our players have to travel uh, for a home game the day after Thanksgiving. But... That means Missouri on a bus has to go an extra four hours, which makes it even worse on Missouri because getting from Columbia to Fayetteville is no easy drive. You can go through the Ozarks. It's curvy. It's nasty. Or you can take the interstate all all the way over to Kansas city. We are at least motivated. We are at least putting in some effort, but you're right. The quarterback situation. I mean, if KJ Jefferson was playing this game, I would absolutely want to take Arkansas and probably put him on the money line, but he went into concussion protocol. Nick Starkle, which, I mean, positive or not, whether he's on the field, he's also in concussion protocol. So I think we're down to grandbaby. We're down to a real estate mogul's uh, grandbaby, uh, a a local Northwest Arkansas uh, real estate mogul's grandbaby. Uh, Basically, anybody that's got a legacy grandchild in the Northwest Arkansas uh, area can bring their child down and put a helmet on them, and they will get some snaps to score a touchdown to bust people's overs and uh, LSU point spreads. Now, this is a spot for Arkansas to play. Uh, Absolutely, 100%. But... I would feel more comfortable if it was K.J. Jefferson. Uh, Missouri has completely given up on the season. Their defense is good enough to shut down Arkansas, but I don't think either part of them are going to show up, and there's questions around Barry Odom's job. I don't know how to make this bet without K.J. Jefferson. I want more information on K.J. Jefferson, his concussion protocol, but if he is cleared to play and is going to
0: play, absolutely I'm playing Arkansas. So that's how it'll be. All right, we have another, a couple of the rivalry games. we won't spend much time on. But we'll go rapid fire here. Louisville, Kentucky, Kentucky three, three-and-a-half point favorite at home. Anything there?
1: Big game if you took Kentucky under 6.5 uh, with me or under 6. You're going to have to hedge
0: out and lay a minus 150 on Kentucky here uh, to, to cover those win total tickets. Uh, Clemson minus 27, like they are every week, between 27 and 34, uh, at South Carolina. I mean, this is South Carolina season, not going to a bowl. Is this line too high? Uh, the number is spot on. Uh, I think the play here is to take a Clemson in the first half before the uh, Venables and uh, Herb Street kids are out on the field. Yeah, I would think that Clemson now is going to go back to what they were doing before and sit. It is a rivalry game. You know, they've showed that hey, look, we can blow out teams. No, people are no longer on their case. So I, I think that you will see Dabo do what he was doing early in the year and pull people even sooner than he has been in recent weeks. Uh, Georgia minus twenty-eight at Georgia Tech. I didn't, I didn't <laughs> know that Georgia Georgia could score twenty-eight points. Yeah, c- keep an eye on Lawrence Cager. Their offense is just so much better with him. But this offense is just broken. The play calling is just so bad. It's but they're they're just solid and find ways to win. It's funny that we bash Oklahoma for winning close games, but we credit Georgia for doing so. Uh, and by we, I just mean a lot of people that I hear. Anything Georgia, Georgia Tech? No, thank you. I mean, this
1: is just a game where don't get anybody hurt and let's roll to the SEC championship game.
0: Uh, and then A&M, Texas A&M, like the hard, one of the hardest schedules I've ever seen in my life. They're now catching 17 at LSU. Uh, Ed O, he wants this one. Does LSU blow this open? Yeah. Uh, He wants this
1: one, and his uh, assistant coaches want this one, too, after there were some fights on the field, and LSU had a hard time getting home after this game, just travel logistics nightmare. Texas A&M has a high success rate on offense, but they just can't expose the LSU defense and pass explosiveness. LSU's 127th in the country in defending pass explosiveness, but Kellen Mond in the offense of Texas A&M is only 122nd in throwing the ball deep. Both teams rank high in finish finishing drives. LSU is fourth in finishing drives. Texas A&M is 12th in finishing drives uh, with defenses that are 24th and
0: 35th in those categories. I expect points in this game. I'm not sure who's going to cover, but I'm very close to taking it over. And then one of the most meaningless Florida-Florida State games I've ever seen. Florida's an 18-point favorite at home (laughs) against Florida State. Any interest in the Knowles as a dog? I do trust the Florida
1: defense here, and this is a game that they kind of have to have if they want to make a New Year's 6. So uh, for
0: me, it's Florida or nothing. All right. And then before we go three and out here, uh, let's talk about this fun belt. Don't let the ladies come between you and the belt. Uh, Our Louisiana (laughs) futures are alive. They just keep rolling everybody. Although I think their spread this week of 21 is a tad high against a ULM team that is playing to get the six wins. But the problem is ULM's defensive line. Both these defensive lines are horrible. I don't know who stops who, but I I, I feel like ULM can score enough to keep this within three touchdowns. But they're going to get run all over by Louisiana's elite rushing attack. But it'll be Louisiana versus App State in the championship. Teams playing for a bowl. Troy um, is sitting at five and six. They're playing App State, catching 13 at home. Uh, Elsewhere, you have Georgia Southern is sitting at six and five, hosting Georgia State. It's not the most appetizing Sunbelt card with uh, everything locked up. What are you seeing here? What do you want to point out? Yeah, Georgia Southern
1: is probably worthy of a play even at minus seven because this is a no motivation. This is a I don't think Dan Ellington's going to play. This is a Georgia State Sit 'em All kind of game. They've they've made seven wins. They've qualified for a bowl. Uh, the number is is projected right. I think I have it at six and a half. So seven is where it should be. But uh, I would try to lock in seven. I see a lot of seven halves in the market, and it may be worth it to buy it down to seven, considering it's a triple option uh, offense. So Georgia Southern's going to be very fired up to get their seventh win. And, and and then as far as ULM ULL goes, yeah, I projected it's. 17 so 21 wait for it to steam up to 21 that's way too much at that point you would want
0: to consider taking ulm all right and before we get out of here let's go three and out
1: one two three let's make it a quick three and out
0: on first down favorite overdog who you got <laughs> you know i'm going utah <laughs> I'll, I'm gonna say Mississippi State which uh I guess we could do that now for second down Thursday night lights Miss State Ole Miss I, I think you're getting Miss State cheap here Plumlee does scare you but right uh, any thoughts here on the Egg Bowl on Thursday night yeah I completely agree you're getting Mississippi State
1: extremely cheap here uh you know I mean although it was earlier in the season Mississippi State has been able to contain dual threat quarterbacks ones that like to use their legs Lynn Bowden Jr. only had 37 yards on three rushing attempts he was really a non-factor Kellen Mond was good running the ball but scrambling uh you know he, he took off more times than he should and he didn't have i think his average is like seven yards per carry you would expect more explosive plays for somebody that takes off and mississippi state is 27th in the in, in time of possession compared to the rebels at 102nd so i think they are gonna be able to control the clock uh, they're gonna be able to take advantage of a really bad old miss uh defense and they're gonna be able to limit what Plumlee does with his legs all
0: right and then before we get out of here third down time for our money line underdog parlay Turning good weekends into great weekends. It's time for the money line parlay. Uh, Your money line underdog? Who you rolling with? I hope I didn't take yours. I took Auburn. You did. So <laughs> <laughs> Army's
1: out there, though. Army would be yep. my number two
0: if, if you want. Yep, and uh, that's my number two as well. So we are on the same page here. I'm going with Army. Talked about the situational spot. Uh, just a nightmare for Hawaii. We might do a live show on Friday morning. By the way, ten thirty a.m. Definitely doing one on Saturday morning. Catch us there. We'll tweet out the link at Stucky2 and at underscore Colin number one with two L's. Thanks for listening. Thanks for joining me, Colin.
1: Happy Thanksgiving, gamblers. We're thankful for you.
0: Make sure you rate, review, subscribe. Leave a review. It helps us a ton. You also go in a raffle for some gear. Don't forget about the voicemails all week. Enjoy the football. Enjoy your holidays. I hope that you enjoyed us getting this out to you soon so you could listen on Wednesday. Cheers. Peace out. we finished talking.